This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Raven Grove Online. Back when I was still in high school, I wrote and published a short fantasy novel called Legends of Raven Grove. It was supposed to be a bleaker, more cynical take on the sword and sorcery genre that was popular at the time. The story revolved around a cast of unlikely adventurers that were far from your typical heroic archetypes. Each of them had been, in some way, ostracized from their respective communities, often for entirely valid reasons, and were now looking to redeem themselves in the plague-stricken lands of Ravengrove. Given that this is probably the first time you're hearing, or as is the case, reading about it, you can probably guess how well it sold. Not that I expected it to. To be honest, I was surprised it made it past the concept stage at all, and was just happy to have my work out there. I had all but forgotten about it since around 2009, which was when I was first contacted by Chloe. She introduced herself as a fan of my book, supposedly having grown up reading it. She also explained that her friends and her were aspiring video game developers and that they were looking to create an RPG set in my fictional universe. I've played my fair share of Dungeons and Dragons with my brothers growing up, but video games were never something that I got into. I felt like I was too old for them by the time they really got popular. I had no idea what it took to create one, nor what the end product would have even looked like. Still, she seemed so excited to be talking to me. I didn't feel like bursting a young creator's bubble by being stingy with something that I'd published as a fluke over 20 years ago. And so, I gave her my blessing and told her to keep me posted. Over that following year, she'd often send me recordings of the progress her team was making. Again, I had scarce little to compare it to, but it did seem impressive looking about on par with what my kids were playing at the time. Although a far cry from the graphics I see nowadays, it still did a good job capturing the gloomy atmosphere of the setting close to how I imagined it. They were making such great progress, in fact, that they were apparently planning on turning what was initially envisioned as a single-player experience into a massively multiplayer one, a la World of Warcraft. Even I was starting to become skeptical, yet Chloe kept ensuring me that they'd be able to pull it off. That they quote-unquote have to pull it off. I had no doubt that she was passionate about the project, but I feared that her ambition might have exceeded her abilities. It only took her another six months to prove me wrong. I was combing through my emails one evening when I noticed that Chloe had sent me a link. Upon clicking it, I was prompted to install a very rudimentary looking launcher, which then proceeded to download a few gigabytes worth of files onto my computer. I sat back and let the program do its thing. Once done, I was greeted by a different window. This one had considerably more flair to it. The background was made to resemble cobblestone that had two prompts etched into it. One asked for my preferred name and the other demanded that I create a password. Above them both, written in bold, stylized letters, was the title, Ravengrove Online. 
I'm not ashamed to admit that the 16-year-old in me got excited. Memories of the weekends I'd spend hunched over my desk, pen in hand, immersed in worlds of kings, queens, dragons, and magic immediately flooded my mind. I eagerly provided what was required of me and transitioned to a screen where I could create my character. I had a choice between four species. The well-rounded humans, the magically inclined fae, the brutish minotaurs, and the sly but often misunderstood goblins. I decided to be boring and picked a human. There were even options to customize my character's appearance, but I was so impatient to get into the actual game that I just went with the default look and clicked play. The scene opened to my chosen hero standing in the middle of a dirt road. Blocking his path forth was an admittedly shoddy-looking wolf, while off to his left was an abandoned wagon. I was instructed to go over and loot the vehicle's remains, resulting in me receiving a rusted longsword, which I was then told to equip. My fledgling adventurer was now prepared to face off against his first adversary. Combat was turn-based and relied on virtual dice rolls, not unlike the tabletop systems I was comparatively more familiar with. Having vanquished my lupine foe, I pressed on. The autumn trees that bordered the path added a certain sense of melancholy to the scenery. Their colors were warm and vibrant, but there was also an underlying tragedy to the way their lush crowns bent toward the ground in reconciliation. It gave the impression of a realm that had all but surrendered to its fate. It was a nice touch, even if it likely wasn't intentional. Eventually, I arrived at what looked to be the entrance of a small settlement. I was already pretty confident where I was, but as if to affirm my suspicions, all of a sudden the camera zoomed past my character and focused on the commotion at the center of it. I quickly realized that I was watching a recreation of the opening scene in my book, which saw a young woman get executed by the behest of an inquisitor after having been caught coercing the demons. The roughness of the models did little to detract from the visual nature of the spectacle. Most of it was conveyed via text and the occasional stock sound effect, but the speech that the woman gives right before getting her head chopped off was entirely voice acted by Chloe herself. I pity you, sons and daughters of Cain, for I now see for what you are. Snakes, masquerading as men, spewing your poison at all which you do not understand. Go on. Let my blood soak the earth you crawled upon. Let the maggots and vultures have their fill. In the end, it'll change nothing. The screen faded to black, just as the Inquisitor swung his blade down on the girl's neck. There was a heavy thunk, and then I was back in control of my character. The crowd of nameless spectators scattered, returning to their predetermined roots. The supposed witch's decapitated body was now strung upside down from the twisted branches of a tree. It swayed hauntingly from side to side like some sort of morbid pendulum. The gore itself was relatively tame, nothing that would cause anyone who's ever played a violent video game before to look away. However, in combination with the prevailing color palette of bleak grays and faded browns, it did its job of complaining to the player that this world wasn't a happy one. I had my brawny yet somehow still anemic-looking adventurer step through the overgrown archway that marked the beginning of the village. Buildings beyond were a little more than a collection of ramshackle huts, yet I was eager to explore them all the same. 
To see the townlet of Kendling, one of the first locations I'd ever conceptualized, brought to life in such a way was surreal. Although unremarkable on the surface, it set the baseline for what one should expect going forth. I could think of no better place to serve as an introduction to the wider world of Ravengrove. Just then, a message lit up in the text box at the bottom right of my screen sent by the username Wallflower. Hey, you there. After a few moments, a floating green orb with that same username above it materialized directly beside my character. It quickly became apparent that the one behind it was Chloe. Sorry, I load in one of my characters and tag along, but I'm testing some stuff on the back end. And with someone else here, now I can actually see how everything works in practice. The ball hovered up and down, and then from side to side, it gave me the impression of a curious pixie regarding the hero of the story for the first time. Oh, right, I forgot. I haven't enabled the chat function for players yet. You're the only one I've let in so far, so I figured there's no point until everything's polished up. Please don't share the link with anyone. I'm not sure how much this server can handle. Anyway, feel free to explore the world and do some quests if you want. There's just Kindling, Daybreak Chapel, and the Old Woods for now. The rest is still a work in progress, but there should still be plenty to do. Have fun! And just like that, the Emerald Orb vanished just as suddenly as it had appeared, leaving me to my own devices. In predictable RPG fashion, the earliest couple of quests I picked up were nothing overly compelling. Kill X numbers of boars, pick some herbs, help a bride find her lost ring, the usual affair. As my skills and equipment improved, however, so did the storylines I became involved in. I'd gone from running lowly errands to hunting down vampires in a matter of hours. There was even a proper murder mystery ripped straight out of the pages of my novel. Well, as compelling of a murder mystery as a teenager with little to no life experience could have come up with anyway. It was certainly interesting to experience it from a third-person perspective, even if I obviously knew the twist. It was around 3 a.m. when I finally convinced myself to log off and go to bed. Only to log straight back in that following evening. Chloe was surprised to see me back so soon, and frankly, so was I. There I was, a 40-year-old man with two kids, wasting my finite amount of free time engrossed in a virtual world that was based on a silly made-up story that I wrote as a high schooler. When put into perspective, it didn't paint the most flattering of pictures. But was it so wrong to seek and escape from the constraints of a mundane life? Had the decades I spent waking up each day and doing the same thankless job over and over not earned me that right? After another week or so of adventuring, my now seasoned warrior was ready to head off to Daybreak Chapel, where he met the Grand Inquisitor herself. Impressed by his numerous exploits, the matriarch offered him a place amongst her ranks, which naturally came with its own title and benefits. I had him reluctantly accept her offer, despite the organization's somewhat sordid reputation. The cloak that came with it was simply too good to pass up. It was around that time when I first realized I hadn't heard from Chloe in a while. Last we spoke, she offhandedly mentioned that she'd been having issues at home, I didn't want to pry too much, so I didn't ask for details, but I did encourage her to perhaps take a step back from Ravengrove for a bit and devote some of her time to her personal life. Chloe was awfully hell-bent on always doing everything by herself, despite supposedly having an entire team behind her. 
Granted, I've yet to meet any of them, but she'd always assured me that they were as dedicated to the project as she was. I figured that she had taken my advice, and yet I was so used to her messaging me almost daily that I couldn't help but feel like something wasn't quite right. I wouldn't go as far to say that she became like a daughter to me, but I did see a lot of my younger self in her, or rather a version of me that had yet to have his artistic aspirations crushed beneath the monotony of adult life. I admired her for it, and wanted her to succeed where I couldn't. That said, I also didn't want to seem like I was putting some sort of pressure on her, so I decided to give her a few more days before reaching out. What followed were weeks of complete radio silence. Neither my emails nor my concerned messages ever got a response. There was no word from her in-game either, though the server was still up, so evidently someone must have been maintaining it. By that point, I'd already completed everything that there was to do. The only reason I kept logging in was to distract myself from the expanding ball of worry that pushed against the inside of my chest. I had this distinct feeling that something terrible was about to happen. I only trusted that feeling sooner. Perhaps things could have turned out differently. There's no use dwelling on it now, I suppose. In late November, just before Thanksgiving, was when the first in a series of anonymous updates began to roll out. The changes to the game were subtle initially, to the point where I wondered if things had always been that way and I just hadn't noticed. Like, for example, the addition of actual crows perched atop some of the rooftops where before only their ominous calls were heard over the ambience. Certain textures were reworked entirely, and though it was difficult to tell for sure, I could have sworn that the way my character swung his sword suddenly looked a lot more fluent. It seemed like a good sign at first. The game was clearly still being worked on. Even if not by Chloe herself, I doubted that her friends would have just gone on as usual if something serious had occurred. Maybe the poor girl was just burned out, or perhaps I had overstepped my boundaries in trying to be some kind of cross between a father and a big brother to her. All reasonable conclusions, and yet that same feeling of impending dread still gnawed at the back of my thoughts. There was this frenetic quality to the whole thing. Like an obsessive painter, redrawing the same pair of eyes over and over, fully aware that they would have then had to uphold that same standard of agonizing meticulousness throughout the entire piece, but still unable to help themselves. Entire quest lines were removed, rewritten, re-added, and then replaced altogether. Systems and mechanics were overhauled at random, despite them having worked just fine up until then. The game was objectively being improved upon, yes, but... To what end? At what point does something become good enough? <clears throat> and then, on January 11th, 2011, came the last update that Raven Grove Online would ever receive. It took a good 40 minutes to install. I was expecting to be overwhelmed by yet another batch of superfluous reworks as soon as I opened the game. Upon loading in, however, nothing stuck out as unfamiliar straight away. On the surface, everything was exactly as I left it. That is, with one negligible but oddly specific exception. The remains of the girl 
who was made an example of during the introductory sequence, were gone. The rope and the dark red stain beneath it were still there, but the body was no longer on display. In the book, nobody from the village dared to take it down, even as it began to putrefy, for they were too frightened of being branded as a heretic sympathizer. It was an uncharacteristic deviation from the source material, assuming it was done on purpose. Not that I minded the occasional creative liberty. In fact, I encouraged it. Perhaps the subtext here was that times were changing and that the common folk were quietly rebelling against the tyrannical dogmas imposed upon them by an order of self-appointed saints. Would have certainly made for an interesting plot hook. I thought nothing more of it and made my way over to the huntsman camp at the northern outskirts of Kindling, intending on selling all the pelts I'd been stubbornly hoarding for the past few play sessions. Waiting for me at the end of that well-trodden hidden path, however, wasn't at all what I'd come to expect. All of the torches had been snuffed out. The old trapper was nowhere to be seen. Instead, standing further inward behind the cluster of training racks was an ominous figure. The fog that was used to mask the game's limitations was so dense that it could only make out a distorted silhouette. The more I approached, the further it retreated, until I inevitably lost sight of it in the trees. Exploring the abandoned campsite thoroughly yielded no answers. Just being out there by myself didn't feel like a safe thing to do anymore, regardless of how comically large my character's battle axe was. Next to disappear was the goblin herbalist, who had happened to reside outside of Kenling, proving that this wasn't just a one-off creepy occurrence. Once more, I caught a glimpse of that same shadowy blotch taunting me from afar, and again it sunk back into the fog as soon as I ran toward it. Wherever Chloe and her team were going with this, it undeniably had me invested. Adding a horror subplot to a dedicated role-playing game was a bold choice. I wasn't sure how well it would have gone with other players, but then again, they knew their target audience better than I did. This might have been exactly what the game needed to stand out from the rest. As more and more notable characters got deleted without a trace, a realization dawned on me. Soon there would be no one left to give out quests, or to sell potions, or to even repair my gear. All of a sudden, there was a time limit on figuring out how to stop whatever that thing was, after which the game would have been rendered virtually unplayable. I know it seems laughable, but the possibility of having my tiny pocket of escapism ripped away from me was genuinely distressing thought. As sad as it was to admit, I'd become attached to this world and its virtual occupants. And I wasn't about to give it all up just like that. The two things I knew about the entity thus far was that it either couldn't or didn't want to confront the player directly, and that it only acted when not perceived. With all of its isolated targets disposed of, it would have had no choice but to strike at the heart of Kenley next, which was fortunate for me, because all the important NPCs were within relative view of each other. All I had to do was position my camera in such a way that I could oversee them all simultaneously. Now, I obviously couldn't just sit there and stare at the screen for an indeterminate amount of time, so I just left the computer running overnight. It was just a program, after all. 
and shouldn't have been able to tell whether it was actually being observed or not. Sure enough, that following morning, everybody was still there, needlessly going about their simulator routines. Yet, my relief was short-lived. There it stood in the distance, a dark blemish on the scenery, waiting for me to relinquish my futile vigil. Although we were caught in a stalemate for the moment, the outcome was predetermined. Time was irrelevant to an unfeeding construct of ones and zeros that only had one singular directive. I had inadvertently backed myself into a corner, unable to do anything but postpone the inevitable, leaving me in no more of an advantageous position than I was beforehand. I chased it off again and again, only for it to re-emerge as soon as I retreated. A lurker on the threshold between the discernible and indiscernible. It was as if I was fighting against the inevitability of death itself. And then all of a sudden, an epiphany. I recalled what Chloe said about sharing the link to the game's client. The way she phrased it implied that there was nothing actually preventing other people from joining, provided that they knew how to. My sons were over at their mom's place for the weekend, so I went upstairs to their room and grabbed the oldest laptop. From it, I logged into my email, installed Ravengrove, and then proceeded to create a brand new character. All the while, keeping my eye on my old one. I decided to be a fae my second time around. The species' bonuses to magic would have proved invaluable for what I had in mind. I was surprised to discover that the tutorial section had been cut entirely. I was unceremoniously spawned at the crumbling archway without so much as a starting weapon. Like before, I guided the dainty, long-eared heroine throughout it and into an even more depressing version of kindling. Positioned amongst the stalls with a glowing nameplate above his head was my warrior, ironclad and appearing like a set of armor given life. I was hoping I could transfer some of my gold over to his successor, but unfortunately that didn't appear to be an option. I was going to have to do this the hard way. I left him to guard and got to work accepting each and every quest I came across. Once I'd gathered a substantial bit of experience in gold, I funneled all my earnings into perfecting the only two spells I needed, teleportation and invisibility. Individually, they were close to useless for anyone trying to play the game conventionally, but using them in tandem allowed me to more efficiently scour the map without the nuisance of the wildlife constantly attacking me. However impossible my quandary might have seemed, the solution had to be out there somewhere. It just didn't make sense for it to not be. It's not like I could have consulted Chloe. She still hadn't acknowledged any of my messages. The possibility that this was all an elaborate gag at my expense did briefly cross my mind, although I failed to see the motive. No, this was something else. Whoever was responsible for all this was desperately trying to convey something. I just had to figure out what it was. The old woods were never a pleasant place to begin with, despite me being effectively impervious to the plethora of monstrosities that dwelt below its looming evergreen, at least as long as I didn't literally teleport into them, the shift in ambience alone was enough to instill a sense of malice. I couldn't hear crows anymore, just the howling of the wind like a choir of restless spirits beseeching me to go away, to turn back. I kept anxiously glancing at the other screen. The fact that the shadow had yet to move from its spot brought me a degree of comfort. Not that that necessarily meant anything, 
For all I knew, there could have been multiple iterations of it roaming the map at all times. My eyes were beginning to sting. I didn't even want to think about how many collective hours I'd spent staring at one monitor or another. The possibility of taking a break was immediately offset by the sight of something familiar hovering amidst the towering pines. It was a luminous green orb. Highlighting it with my mouse revealed the username Wallflower, accompanied by an almost depleted health bar directly beneath it, which, in the context of the game, served to explain its sluggish movements. It was Chloe's custom avatar, the one she used to interact with me whenever she was busy working on the game, but still wanted to say hi. It seemed apathetic to my sorcerer's presence, neither acknowledging her nor attempting to flee. Circling the area, the wounded sprite yielded nothing of interest. After watching it just float for a while, I resorted to the only thing that the game had consistently rewarded me for doing. I attacked it. It took a single swing of my staff for its last remaining health points to drop to zero, after which the game suddenly froze. I was presented with a blank loading screen. Instead of imparting some sort of curious tidbit or hint, the flavor next to the icon of a spinning hourglass only read, You too, huh? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Next thing I knew, I was looking up at Daybreak Chapel. The structure was precariously positioned atop a steep cliff, its belfry scraping the red-tinted sky above it. With its whitewashed walls and stained glass windows, it exuded an air of righteous authority, standing as the sole beacon of faith in this land of heathens. This was my first time back here since the entity started appearing. The chapel became little more than set-dressing after I exhausted all of its associated quests, thus giving me no incentive to revisit it. I advanced at the winding steps that led to its entrance. All background noise was gone. It was as if I was playing on mute. Usually there would have been a pair of armored chaplains stationed at both sides of the gate. You even had a reef interaction with them before being allowed into the building proper. This time my heroine stood alone before the imposing set of wooden doors. That tense feeling in my chest was getting more persistent by the second. I did my best to ignore it. I was brought here for a reason, and I intended on finding out what it was. Interacting with the gate caused the game to freeze again. A shrill burst of electronic static blared from the laptop's speakers, and I was transported to a rendition of the holy building's interior that seemed partly unfinished. The floor patterns were even muddier than what I was accustomed to, as though they were still in the process of rendering. Meanwhile, the ivory columns that led up to the altar lacked any sort of finer detail at all. Everything was blanketed in a thick ash-colored mist, considerably darker than the one outside, making the otherwise modest space feel more expansive than it truly was. I had my character walk past the empty benches and over the lectern, which, much like the majority of props, also didn't have a texture. 
Only once I turned my view back around did I realize I wasn't alone. It stared at me across the aisle, the entity in all of its tragic glory. Its crooked contour gave the impression of a marionette being guided by an unenthusiastic puppeteer. The notion of a creature being forced into involuntary existence was further personified in its form, which was equal parts surreal and grotesque to behold. It possessed the head of a deer, clumsily fused to a woman's torso. The body itself was discolored, clearly belonging to a corpse, with streaks of stale blood splattered across its flesh and meager clothing. Looking at it now, I wasn't sure whether to fear or to pity the thing. Its intentions toward me, on the other hand, were far less ambiguous. The green health and blue magic bar above its antlers made it clear that the only way out of this claustrophobic liminal prison led through it. Each step I took, it mirrored, lurching closer and closer, its head slumping from one side to the other. The animation itself was the most detailed I'd seen thus far. Clearly, somebody had spent a painstaking amount of time bringing this monstrosity to life, though for what purpose I couldn't say. I tried casting a basic fireball at the wretched amalgamation, but the projectile practically bounced off it. My strongest offensive spell, the Ice Javelin, fared slightly better, yet the damage it inflicted was so minuscule that it didn't even reflect on the creature's life bar. My poor Fay was way in over her head. I did the only thing I could think of and used my teleport ability to warp behind it, then immediately dashed for the lofty set of doors I arrived through. Instead of the usual exit prompt I get whenever I try to leave an indoor area, the bold white text now read, Too late for that. Frantically clicking on it a few more times, it changed to an even bigger font, demanding that I turn around last thing I saw before I was booted back to the login page was a still frame of the entity with its deformed arms stretching past the edges of the screen, its dull black eyes focused squarely and unequivocally on me. Trying to log back in only resulted in a message informing me that this account has been permanently banned. It was obvious what the game wanted me to do. I closed the laptop and placed it aside and sat back in the front of my desktop. I stirred my warrior from his trance and, under the shadow's watchful gaze, proceeded to visit every single vendor in kindling, buying up anything and everything that might be considered useful. After a quick final rest at the inn, I embarked toward Daybreak Keep, leaving the townlet to its imminent fate. As all such tales, there was only one way this was bound to end. With the so-called hero confronting the monster in its own domain where their ultimate clash would determine the realm's future. Trees closed around me like a corridor, making sure I didn't stray from my goal. The game wasn't pulling its punches anymore. Werewolves, ghouls, and pox-ridden golates ambushed me at every step, but I cut them down all the same. By the time I was standing at the base of that cliff again, I'd already exhausted a quarter of my healing supplies. Once more did I climb the stone steps that led up to the chapel's entrance, and once more did I go through it, albeit with considerably more purpose than before. Awaiting me on the other side was the fathomless abyss. What minimal decor 
there previously had been was stripped away, exposing the cold emptiness ever-present underneath. And there, at home, amidst the uncaring blackness, was my adversary passively anticipating my arrival. To say that it regarded me a certain way would have been an assumption on my part. It was like trying to ascribe emotions to a walking taxidermy. I opened with a volley of arrows from my enchanted bow. Each struck true, applying stacks upon stacks of poison that ate away at the target's vitality. Only once a good fifth of its health was gone did the creature finally respond in kind. I watched as its limbs stretched and pierced the void, plunging it into as though it were a tangible substance. Hands of different sizes emerged from all directions. Some held my warrior in place, others scratched away at his armor, all the while the one evoking them twitched and trembled erratically. I couldn't tell whether the creature was excited or in pain, perhaps both. I had to attack each disembodied hand individually for them to recoil, granting me enough of an opening to close the distance. After enduring several cleaves from my battle axe, it expelled me back with a shriek that I can only describe as a mixture of a squealing pig and Geiger counter and an air raid siren mashed in one continuous high-pitched noise. Our battle became a vicious back-and-forth dance of attrition. I shot at it from a distance while doing my best to avoid its much more powerful ranged attacks. And then, once its guard was down, I'd rush in, getting as many hits as I could before being violently shoved away. Had the fight kept going the way it did, my victory would have been assured. Perhaps in realization of that, the creature suddenly slid backwards into the darkness. The veil lifted, revealing the true scale of our final battleground. A seemingly endless body of water, infinitely stretching in whatever direction I looked. The visual of my character suspended above the open bottomless expanse caused shivers to race down my spine. On the horizon where the sea and the black sky met, a partially submerged moon peered back at me as if it were the milky dead eye of a god. But if the moon was an eye, then the horn figured standing in front of it with its pupil, twitching and dilating, distending and contracting. It raised its bloodied hands and what appeared to be giant razor blades rained down like guillotines. Several struck me dead on, nearly killing me outright, but I thankfully still had enough potions left to keep myself going. Having picked up on their pattern, I weaved around the rapidly descending objects as I charged to deliver the finishing blow. The moon occupied more and more of my screen, only satisfied once it had swallowed everything else around it. I gritted my teeth, wound back the axe. The scene opened to my chosen hero standing in the middle of a dirt road. Blocking his path was an admittedly shoddy-looking wolf, while off to his left was an abandoned wagon. I was instructed to go over and loot the vehicle's remains, resulting in me receiving a rusted longsword, which I was then told to equip. My fledgling adventurer was now prepared to face off against his first adversary. Combat was turn-based and relied on virtual dice rolls, not unlike the tabletop systems I was comparatively more familiar with. Having vanquished my lupine foe, I pressed on. The autumn trees that bordered the path added a certain sense of melancholy to the scenery. Their colors were warm and vibrant, but there was also an underlying tragedy to the way their lush crowns bent toward the ground in reconciliation. It gave the impression of a realm that had been 
surrendered to its own fate. It was a nice touch, even if it was likely not intentional. Eventually I arrived at a small cemetery nestled between the foliage. The fence surrounding it had been rusted, barely standing in places and looking like it hadn't been maintained for generations. The gravestones all had rather unusual inscriptions. Some consisted of two or three words, while others contained entire paragraphs. It was a collage of sad song lyrics, unsent text messages, and diary entries, which, when compiled together, told the story of a lonely girl trapped in a never-ending struggle with her demons. But unlike the ones in my book, these demons can't be slain with a sword or sealed away with some forbidden ritual. There never was a team of developers. From its inception, Raven Grove Online had always been the product of a single, talented, yet deeply troubled mind, desperately looking for a reason to keep going. The Chloe that I'd come to know was nothing more than a facade. How she managed to achieve all this on her own, I'm not qualified to say. I can only imagine the sleepless nights, the detachment from everything else around her. She was creating her own refuge, a world which she could escape to, made in the image of something synonymous with simpler times. But her demons followed her there as well. It's not my place to go into specifics about Chloe's personal life or what had brought her to such a state. What I eventually managed to uncover was conveyed to me in confidence, and I'm not about to betray anyone's trust. Regardless of my feelings on the matter, I'm a dad too, and I understand not wanting your child's struggles to be showcased publicly. In the end, I just hope she found what she was looking for. Please look out for each other. I know, believe me, I know how bad it gets. And though I may not be able to relate to you specifically, there are other people out there that can. No part of the human existence is wholly unique, even if we like to pretend otherwise. Let others onto your island. Hell, show them the sights. They might like it. And decide to stay. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. It's much different than what we normally do here. Not necessarily real-life monsters and demons, literally, but more mental ones. And from the storytelling aspect of a video game, I thought it was an interesting tale and I wanted to share it with everyone. And since it does touch on uh, specific topics, I will leave resources down in the description below for everyone who may need them. And like the story said, remember that you're never alone. You always have someone out there who may be going through the same thing and can help you get through it. And you can help them get through it. I'm happy you're here. And I hope you stay with us. With that said, I do want to raise a question. Something related to the story, but hopefully something that will bring up the mood a little bit. What's the scariest video game you've ever played? I know a majority of my audience are older. 40s, 50s, maybe. Maybe 30s. I'm close to 30 myself. But I do, I do wonder, from different eras of gaming. What's the scariest game you've ever played? I can already see some people are going to say Outlast. Some people may say Silent Hill, the original Resident Evil games. One of the scariest ones I've ever played 
was Fear on Xbox 360. Or was it Xbox? No, it was 360. Yeah. First Encounter Assault Recon. Um, terrifying paranormal first-person shooter. Really, really good. But even before that, the first scary game I ever actually played was Clock Tower on the PS1. I had no idea what the game was about or anything. Didn't pay attention to stuff when you're that age in video games. You know, you just hop in, you don't read the booklet, you just press buttons, figure out what does what. And I got to the point where the main lady is running away from the guy with the giant scissors. And I <laughs> I made it to a cutscene where she's speaking to a police officer and the scissor man like jumps out from a doorway and slices him in half. And I like, as a child, I literally pissed in my pants. I pissed myself. It scared me so bad. I don't know. Other than that, more recent games I played that kind of freaked me out. Phasmophobia was a good one. Um, I don't really play them that often anymore. My heart can't take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very anxious person. Um, Anyway, let me know what is the scariest game you've ever played. What kind of memories you have with those. I would love to read about them. Maybe try some of them on my own. Who knows? Other than that, again, I'm happy you're here. And I hope you stay with us. I hope you have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, take care of yourselves and everyone around you. Good night, everyone.